Welcome to Dr. Lovely's Cup Cafe. It's your host, Dr. Lovely here. And yes, we are continuing on with the book by Jim Jeremy. I listened to one of Bob Marley's sons talk about how when their father died because he didn't leave any will or anything about his inheritance, how they had to try and find some money in order to purchase back all of his royalties and residuals. He said they asked multiple black people to help, but none helped. And one of those people was Michael Jackson. This nigga said, I'll buy the shit for you. Nigga. We have these unhealthy expectations and beliefs that because we see our people in great standing in society and we believe that they will be there to support us. This is the very thing you always hear me talk about, about how we disconnected and we don't we don't want to help each other. We are the people who constantly degradate and negatively tear down our own folks publicly we are the same people where women and men constantly berate each other publicly we are the only motherfucking people that do this and the more we read jeremiah the more we got to understand the shit we see because those parallels cross, they intersect. Once again, if you are not listening to the correlations of these events and how you see these same things in our community today, listen, somebody piss me the fuck off today. And this is why I'm not, I hate fucking social media. It turns out more motherfucking narcissists than the world allow. And let me tell you something. As I'm sitting here today, I realized two things. One, goddammit, that white man had me pissed the fuck off. Because he said black Americans are privileged. The fuck? Then he went on this whole narrative about how he believed we're privileged. With no facts, no information, nothing. So it's important for us to take accountability for how we behave 
in public. But we don't give a fuck. We're reckless ass people. And I know, I know, niggas, I know. Everybody got the same thing. We do, we do. My issue is not with other communities because that's not my problem. My problem is the one I face with the people that I have, that I connect to. And again, not all black people on the earth are the same people, but this is the narrative that is pushed because we don't have the conceptualization or understanding to be able to, to, to differentiate the two. My heart goes out to whatever black people have to go through outside of America. But I don't live in that country. I live in this one. And my job, my job every day is to repair the mind of other people. To help them process the traumas and the pain that they go through. That is my job. And I cannot do it effectively if I'm on some bullshit. I cannot hold my head up every day with integrity if I'm not true with my own self. If I can't look at myself and say, I fucked up here. If I look at myself and I can't say, I wronged someone. Let me fix that. Let me deal with the hurt that I've caused other people. Because see, then I become a motherfucking hypocrite every day. That I walk around wounding people and don't have no accountability for the wounds that I cause. There's no fucking self-respect in that shit. And it all starts with you. Individually. The ability to look inside yourself and see where you fuck up at. And make those changes. And correct that shit. But you have to hold your own self accountable. We don't. We, we have to hold one another accountable for the actions that we commit toward other people. And understanding that we are not shit. We are fucked up. If we don't right our wrongs. If we don't make corrections. Or that we have to look in the mirror and say, this is where I mess up at. Self-reflection is everything. Self-accountability is everything. You have to be accountable for the things we do. why niggas love to say only God can judge me because you don't want nobody to hold you accountable fuck that shit no we can judge each other yes the fuck we can because it's, it's important for us to hold one another accountable for the things that we do how can we be on reproach we have no problem with the law system doing it but those are still men right judging you making judgments on your life there's no problem with that right because it's a system you're in and that's okay fuck that shit We need to learn how to hold each other accountable and stand on it. And not understand you're you're not beyond reproach. Reproach. Accountability, that's what that means. 
You're not beyond anyone holding you accountable for the wrong things that you do. And and the real issue is, is that we will support motherfuckers in their wrongness. We'll stand on it. Matter of fact, we are the people that are more likely to stand on people's negativity and wrongness and hold them down for that shit wholeheartedly. Then we will stand for someone speaking a truth and holding you accountable for your negative actions. So how is it is okay for us not to hold one another accountable for our negative actions? But it's fucking okay for us to hold people and push them up and uplift them for their negative actions. The fuck kind of shit is that? Clearly y'all know I'm mad. But it's okay. It's okay. We go around doing all kinds of negativity and we don't want nobody to hold us accountable for the bullshit that we do. We don't even hold our motherfucking self accountable for the motherfucking shit we do outside. The hurt that you caused, but I'm going to say it again. You best believe this motherfucking shit. Real shit. Whatever the fuck you do to others will come back on you. And it's not going to be the way you did it. God is going to hold you accountable justly. Justly according to your actions. But it's going to be way worse than what the fuck you did. Well, he gives us an opportunity to fix our wrongs. He gives us an opportunity to make amends, to apologize before he hits you. As we continue to see as we read the book of Jeremiah. Moving on. Before we get started, I heard two very interesting things today that I want to share. So let's get to it. This is one. Please listen. In the history of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, Allah says to the Prophet, among your wives and your children, there is an enemy for you, so be aware of them. Be aware. Of the people of you were birthed with. Your family structure. Be aware. Mm-hmm. You have not had an enemy till an enemy rises up right out of your own loins. Woo. Talk to me. What he means is. You haven't had an enemy, or there have not been a just enemy until one of your own children 
rises up against you. That is one of the most heartbreaking things. When you raise a child up. Now this is the kicker here. Because majority of us don't raise up our children. Appropriately. With value. And standards. Right. If you don't raise them up with values and standards. Don't be mad. When they rise up against you. The day they disrespect you. Remember what you taught them. Or have not taught them. The lack thereof. Because they watch you. And I know you mad at what I said, but it's okay. But that's the truth nonetheless. What standard did you uphold? What was the standard you uphold in your child's life? Don't justify. Because see, this is niggas' problem. We justify it. We will stand with our kids ten toes deep when you know they fucking wrong. We won't correct they ass. We'll support them all the way to the end. Fuck that. If they wrong, they wrong. And I'm not fucking with you. On your wrongness. Hell to no. Why? Why would I do that? Don't you understand that hinders the child's growth and progression in life? And when you have children that don't, or they have lost their way as adults. What I mean by lost their way, you know, they can't keep jobs. They rely on you to do everything all the time. You're, you're always paying out of pocket. But they also use guilt trips on you in order to get you to do shit. And so you, you feel guilty, therefore you do it. Fuck that shit. I raised my kids up right. With standards. And not only did I raise them up right with standards, I had certain shit that I didn't do in front of them. Being accountable as a parent is very important to me, goddamn. And I'm not saying I was perfect. No, fuck that shit. I made mistakes. I didn't have much to draw from. But I thank God in the midst of it, period, I was able to give them something. To stand on. But the only thing I knew I had. And that I could give them. Is their spiritual. Background. Because beyond all thing else. That's the only thing that I could give them. That was worth something. So that standard is set. So every time I see them. Losing their way. Going a little left or right. I put them right back on that track. My advice is always seek God in everything you do. And if you feel like something's going on in your life and it's rough, that means God is talking to you. You might want to talk to him. 
My advice is always that. Because I know the foundation that I laid. Moving on. You have not had an enemy until the woman that you sleep with or the man with whom you sleep becomes your mortal enemy. Hey! Woo! Oh, Father. See, baby daddies, you remember the woman that you loved, that y'all was connected to, and that you loved, that you loved, y'all was one with it. You know what I'm saying? Y'all might be mad at them now, but when you when you got them, you were in love. Y'all was connected. That same woman turned your children against you. You forget that you had love for her at one point. And there was something in her that drew you to her. But you're not gonna remember all the the things that that transpired because you gotta you gotta look at the whole motherfucking situation. You gotta look at the whole situation. Remember when I said like, "Ooh, I know I left that marriage, understanding where my flaws were. I know what I know what I did wrong. I'm gonna hold myself accountable, but I'm gonna make some changes because I'm gonna waver it out. You gotta you gotta look at where you were. You also gotta look at where you missed." Also, where you misjudged. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I know. I know you don't want to hear that part. Mm-mm-mm. But you got to. But you got to. Because those closest to you observe you, mm. learn your weaknesses, mm. and then use your weaknesses with your enemies. Ooh-wee. You know what he's talking about. Your weaknesses. And using your weaknesses with your enemies. They use the governmental structure to get you. Call police on you. Take your ass to child support. And keep trying to get money out of you. Your enemies. They use the laws of the land to destroy you. Father. Niggas. Oh, come on. To help destroy. All of this is written Mm. in family. Please let... All of it is written in the word as we keep reading. As we keep looking. I got one last one, one. Cause, cause when I heard this today, I gave God glory. Cause this is the motherfucking shit I've been saying all along. Now I have the proof to back a nigga's ass up, but we ain't seen shit yet. Now this next last clip is coming from. A government meeting to discuss Social Security. Oh, niggas, if you're in your 40s and the 50s, you're close to being in there to get it. Now, mind you, they moved the goalpost from 65 to 70. Get with it, niggas. Remember, this is a system you tied into, right? Remember that other 
president from Venezuela where he said how we just print money out of thin air, goddamn, and it has no nothing to back it or show that it's of value and and how they take taxes from y'all ass. You know how they tax your income. Then they tax your ass again. See, because you already get taxed once when they tax your income. But then they tax you more on every, every anything else you fucking buy. So you're getting double, triple taxed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, come on, y'all. Come on. Come on now. But let's get to it. Here we go. This is all a scam. I mean, we got people that's getting ready to retire that's going to try to live off. Hold on. This is all a scam. I mean, we got people that's getting ready to retire that's going to try to live off two to $3,000. Impossible. It's impossible. Because what happens, it comes up here, we spend it. We're $35 trillion in debt. We don't have any money. We're dead broke. And then taxpayers have $2 trillion in credit card debt. We are in huge trouble. And this body, we had better start figuring that out because we're going to have a run on this city here soon. And there's going to be about 150 million people coming up here saying, where's our damn money? This is in Tennessee, nigga. This Tennessee. That we paid in. I could have put my Social Security money for 40 years in tax in, in, in the market and probably be worth 8 to 10 million today. Did you hear what he said, Nick? Remember I told you about that sheep, but you know. Yeah, I made $600 out of that this week. Oh, that hit the hill. In three days. That's more money than most people make. In a week. They could have took the money, their inheritance, for Social Security, and put it in the stock market. And being millionaires. That's not what we did. It's not sitting in a place where equity is accruing on it. Now, ain't that some shit? But I believe that's purposefully done. But, but let's continue on. But the federal government wasted it. So I'll get off my horse there. But it's good that we have this because we got, you know, I get a little pension check from education. I, I was part of a union. Uh, it's not going to help people. People are going to have to work, continue to work longer and longer. Am I right, Mr. Gender? Can you say something about Social Security and, and it being taxed for some reason? We're taxing people for the second time on Social Security that they put into, into an account. Yeah, and I'd like to... Did you hear that? What did I just say earlier? You're being taxed on the money you take. You're also being taxed on the money that was already taxed. To put into a holding for your retirement, Social Security. Double tax. Triple tax. Quadruple tax. All we get is tax. You tax the fuck out of us every day. So we have nothing left. But we trust in the system though. What does it got to do with me? How's that going to change my life or edify it? The interesting thing is, we are so ill-informed, we know nothing about what our rights are. 
We're so ill-informed that we go day to day. All we know is work, 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 work. So fucking no. I was having a dialogue with my boss about Europe, about China, and how in China the kids go to school and then they get a two-hour break in between. That two-hour break is in order for your brain to rest because you can only take in so much information. They know this. Your brain automatically cuts off. Every day you can only take so much information in in order to sustain it. After that, it just cuts off. It won't keep it. But here, our kids don't even get a two-hour break to relax their mind. Mm-mm. No. How in Europe people enjoy life? They don't live to work. Or work to to live. They literally take time out every day to enjoy their life. We don't know what the fuck that looked like. All we know is to work. And all we do is put ourselves in debt. We don't think about tomorrow. We spend money today without thinking about tomorrow. Or continuing on working for other people for the rest of our lives. We stay in that mentality. When Social Security was first founded, um, those who established it, it was started out as a 2% tax, and they said this will never take more than 6% of your income. Today it takes 12.4%, and depending on whether you go with CBO or Social Security trustees, it needs to take between 15.8 and 17.5%. So we're talking about thousands of dollars more per year. Um, it also was actually only originally recommended that it, the tax be up to $66,000 equivalent in today. Listen to this. Do you know the Supreme Court found that it was lawful to take people's money for child support? But yet people... Listen. You can have a dialogue with someone about what their rights are. But they don't want to hear what you have to say. When you try to educate them... On how to free themselves financially, they refuse to listen. It's literally unlawful for you to pay child support. That's what the Supreme Court ruled. They are the highest court in the land, they trump the civil court. And their ruling is greater than the silver court, civil court, excuse me. You cannot educate niggas for nothing. No matter how much you try to assist them, to pull their minds out of places that 
keep them bound. They don't want to hear anything you have to say. They don't take into consideration anything that you advise them. Why is it that we find it so hard to receive advisement from other people? I think I think it's something that is embedded in us to not hear truth. We literally turn our ears away from it. Ain't that what, what God said in Jeremiah? That the people turn their ears away. He said that you don't even incline to come in close to see. Maybe I didn't hear you correctly. Come on in. Let me get in close to make sure I heard you correctly. dollars of earnings um, but over time it has expanded massively and the money has been spent every year so whereas everybody thinks this money's been set aside for me no for the past 13 years every dollar that has gone out of workers paychecks has gone immediately to pay promise benefits and that's what happens when you have a system that enables those in charge of it to spend the money in the immediate term and leave the buck to the next generation that's coming along. And because Social Security has grown so much, it's actually to the detriment of lower income workers in particular who have to pay such a large share of their tax. Their pay- Did he say it was, wor- it was worse for the lower income people? Social Security is worse for the lower income pe- people because it takes more than, more than they need to survive out of their taxes. And in the beginning, they were only supposed to take 2%. And then they increased it up to 6 And now up to about 12 Even though that percentage is low, it's still a lot in essence. From 2 to 12 is a grand jump still. check to social security they have little left to save for retirement and then lower income and african-american workers have the lowest life expectancies so they are the niggas did you hear that y'all have the lower life expectancy why because y'all don't eat right y'all don't get enough rest you work you overwork y'all have the greatest amount of trauma 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 lowers life expectancy each generation it reduces life expectancy stress because you have to do it on your own lowers life expectancy but I know niggas I know I'm a nigga one what do I know What do I know? Most likely to get nothing back in return. One out of four African-American men will die between the ages of 45 and 64 after having paid into this system for decades, tens if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they might get nothing back. Notice the number one statement was black men. Black men have it the worst. 
something I've been saying for the longest time. Because y'all don't take care of yourselves. What's the solution? I think we ultimately have to shift towards a universal benefit system. That's what true social insurance is. It does not make sense that we are paying the biggest benefits to the highest income earners. So gradually over time, I think we need to bend down the benefits for the middle and upper income earners, actually increase them for the lower income earners. Look at things like indexing life ex- retirement and age to life expectancy, more accurate inflation index. And I think that workers need an option to have their money in something that actually earns a positive rate of return and that can't just immediately be spent by Congress. I have a 28 and 29 year old, two boys, got a job, working hard, paying Social Security. They ask me all the time, Dad, will I ever see any of that money? Will they see it? I think they will see some of it. That's the exact same thing I hear whenever I ask a group of younger workers, and none of them raises their hands. So I think that there will be something there, um, but it's not going to be what has been promised. Mr. Stephen, you got anything to add to that? Uh, thank you, Senator. Uh, what I would add is when we talk about Social Security or we talk about pensions, uh, the two things that they both have in common is that guaranteed income. You know what you're going to get, generally speaking, at the end of it. What I reference in terms of protected retirement, we have developed now solutions that get at both of those in a very efficient way. And they also address the issue around market volatility because we have step-ups and lock-ins. And it's a very efficient way to deliver that to millions of Americans that we, we've been talking. And, and that's all because of what you all did around Secure Act 1.0 and 2.0. They have put us in a position to do that, and that's why I'm really encouraging us to have every 401k plan, 457 plan, 403b plan add at least one of those solutions so that the American workers can choose. If they want to know what they're going to get in retirement, we can deliver that for them. Young people of all ages ask me, why can't we put our money in our own 401k instead of put it in Social Security? Is there an answer to that? I think what I love is that they're asking the right question. Savings in any way is a good thing. That person was black. That was blowing smoke. Bullshit. All right. Let's get to the Bible study. Oh, I'm not. I'm not on here. I was reading from a different text. Chapter 16 of Jeremiah. And the word of Jehoah came unto me, saying, You shall take no wife, you shall have no sons or daughters in this place. You don't understand how um, hard that probably would be for him. And this time it was a privilege. Every man wanted descendants. Sons to carry on their name and who they are. We carry on the largest percentage of our paternal DNA. To carry it on. That you continue on the family Legacy. Having a son isn't critical. It's important. 
For so said Yehoah regarding the sons and the daughters born in this place and regarding their mothers who bear them and their fathers who beget them in this land. He's referring to them being in Babylon in captivity. He's saying what that impact is going to look like. Having children in a place where they're captive. Mind you, now, when you hear captive, it's not... Their captivity is pretty much like our captivity now. Not like the transcendental slave trade, uh, tra- tra- slave trade and all the atrocities that happen. But there are, there are similarities to what they experienced in Babylon. And we'll get that understanding from Ezra. <sighs> Deaths of sickness shall they die. Oof. He's telling you what the descendants would experience being cast out of their homeland and in their captivity. And he's saying they will get sick and die. They shall neither be lamented nor buried. They shall be as dung on the face of the ground, and with the sword and with famine shall they perish, and their carcasses shall be food for the fowl of the heaven and for beast of the earth. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. For so did... Yehoah, I'm sorry, for so says Yehoah, do not go into the house of mourning, neither go to lament or bemoan them. This is what he's telling Jeremiah. This is what's going to happen. And because of what I just said, you will not have the right To lament, cry out, and mourn what is about to happen. Because what is happening to them is on their own accord. And as I hear this, I think about the state of our people right now. And how um, how they enjoy what they do. See, um, what you have to understand here is this. When you enjoy the pleasures of sin, your ability to understand... Or conceive righteousness is skewed, off centered, disconnected. Have you ever had a conversation with someone about something 
It's like showing someone in black and white a truth. But they don't comprehend what's being said or they do. But it doesn't matter what that truth is. Because we've been taught that we get to do what we want. And let me justify this or correct it. We have these notions about God. um, And this has a lot to do with how we... um, our perception of what we've been taught, right? Because everybody's grew up Christian, right? Like, that's it. We, we grew up Christian. And there's a particular philosophy of how things go. So it's a learned behavior, right? When we think about this from a psychological standpoint or from a place of psychology, in the place of psychology, you... You understand people learn certain behaviors and it's it's viewed from the context of the society in which they live in. So your societal norms, meaning the normal things in the society that everybody does, sets the tone for their belief system. So if you notice... The societal norms shift about every 10 years with a different perception and ideology. And most of the time, we think these ideas are our own and not the cultivation of someone else. Now, as a psychologist... I understand something called conditioning. Conditioning is when you prepare someone to receive a particular idea. So if you want to get someone to accept an idea that they culturally would never accept. Let's say the societal norm is a particular concept. And it's not acceptable in society. So the first thing they do is call microdosing. They begin to show you images, non-threatening images. When I mean non-threatening, these are images that are very easily given to you. And it doesn't cause you to feel threatened or upset about what you see. And then they move on to another phase. Then they begin to utilize other tactics But it's still non-threatening. 
or you will see it as being non-threatening. Even though there's some discomfort or it challenges, sorry, challenges the way you think. So over time, let's say within a 10 year period, each year they introduce something new, but with the same mentality or objective, let me say that. And by the 10th year, it's full on, open, with full understanding of what you're actually seeing. It gave you time to get used to it, to become familiar with it, to the point you've now accepted it. That's conditioning. It's the same tactic you see with a man who abuses women. He starts off by making her feel as if she's the most important woman in the world to him. Or her, vice versa. And over time, He begins to isolate her from everything she knows. And when she's been completely isolated from everything that's familiar to her, he hits her. And when he does this, He tells her it's her fault. After he does this, he knows the first time he does it that she might leave. But you see, he's already conditioned her before. Because now she's second guessing everything. Even though she know he did wrong, he conditioned her in the beginning with those kind words, those thoughtful gestures, those gifts, and making her feel like she's the, the most important person in the world. But the reason why these type of men are able to do this is because they prey on the weak. Women who don't appreciate who they are. So the cycle continues on. But she's never able to leave because her whole perspective of that relationship is built around the conditioning that he did. In the beginning of the relationship. That's conditioning. At its finest. Moving on. Mm. For so said Yehoah. 
Do not go into the a house of mourning, neither go to lament, nor bemoan them. For I have gathered in my peace from this people, says Yehoah, the loving kindness and the mercies. The house of mourning. What it means is fasting. One of the most powerful places you can go when you really want to hear from God is through fasting and supplication. Oh my God. You talking about God moving on your behalf. Try fasting. For I have gathered in my peace what he means is when their father Ibrahim performed charity and justice, I gave his children loving kindness and mercy. Abraham was known as the father of hospitality. Everyone in his homestead was trained how to treat the people when they came into his home. I recall when I first got married. And um, my ex-husband's family, they were Africans. They don't like this. So they had these, these um, issues with, with black women, especially. Let me say bias. And one of his aunts had visited from Kenya. And she came to visit. And I showed her hospitality. Because I really believe in it. Hospitality, when someone comes to my house to treat them with hospitality. And when she left, she went telling all the sisters what took place. After her visit, everybody had to come and see this black American woman married to this Kenyan guy because all the women they based their opinions on according to what he said was they were mean, nasty bitches. It's the hospitality of how we treat one another which is very powerful. How you engage and communicate with other people and their impression that you leave them with transcend a lot of things. And you'll also be very surprised what you receive when you treat people with extreme hospitality and respect. So he chose and extended a great honor unto the seed of Abraham because of who?
who Abraham was as a man. His family understood in fullness because his wife was on board. All he had to do was say, and she moved. You understood that him and his woman was on one accord, collectively, together, one. And it shows you the kind of leader he was. Because not only was his wife on point with it, even the servants that he had, his employees that were there, they all displayed the same hospitality to anyone who came. And you see that when he sends his servant to go inquire about a wife for his son. And he wanted to make sure that the wife he, he inquired for his son was a righteous woman of good standard. But that servant understood the task that he was given and the respect he had for the person he worked for. This is why, um, and I'm grateful, I start my training for my new position tomorrow as the director over the facility. And the number one thing I said to my, my boss was, if you want people to work for you, you give them something to make them want to work for you. And it's everything about what you offer unto them and how you make them feel. The prophecy I received in 2010 was that I would begin to walk in a place of leadership and train other people. And the training that I give to other people will not only impact the business, but the people that receive the training will receive it in love and compassion. And that it will make room for me in other avenues. The last lady that held this position, she had 50 clients. But my boss reduced mine to, to 30. She was confined to the office. But my boss want me to go out in the community. When God's favor is on you, he said, I will make you favorable unto me and I will make you favorable unto men. Walking in hospitality, having a standard for yourself, being able to navigate in situations will make room for you. And I say this to a people who often have a very difficult time doing exactly what I'm saying. Let alone us advising you on how to progress your life. We want no one to teach us how to progress our life, to have a better life, to gain more from the lives we live.
most of our people will stay stagnant in a particular place because they refuse to be to listen Deuteronomy 7 and 12. And Yahuwah your Elohim shall keep for you the covenant and the loving kindness. Because the covenant represents God's loving kindness unto his people. It was a standard that they were to uphold. If you don't understand anything about Torah. What you should understand is that it's a standard. It was the standard that God gave to the people to uphold. It was something they were supposed to uphold in fullness. Not to delineate from it. Not to make changes of it. Not to do it whenever they felt like it or however they felt like it. It was to be done to the letter of what he was given to the people. It's like people going on a job and decide how they're going to work it outside of the company policy. Well, the company has a standard to uphold and a responsibility to the community. And they have rules and regulations and they're supposed to be uphold. But we will come in and think we're not supposed to follow them. And we get to choose to do it however we want. But I bet the day you open up your own business, you, you will have a standard. And you will enforce it. Because that standard is a representation of you and what you established. So what right do you have to coming to a space to think that you don't have to adhere to the standards. Well, that's bad for business. See, we don't think about how our ideologies are wrong. Moving on. Number six. And large and small shall die in this land. They shall not be buried. And men shall not lament for them. And they shall not cut their flesh. Nor shall they tear their hair for them. Because this is what they did as a sign of mourning. We don't really mourn, do we? We don't mourn of the atrocities of what happened to our people. Some of us do, but not all of us. We don't show it outwardly, right? There was a particular way that they showed that they were mourning. They cut their hair, they tore their clothes, they rolled around in the dirt and cried and wept. Until all of their people found justice. And they shall not break bread for them in mourning to console him for the dead. 
neither will they give them to drink a cup of consolation for his father or for his mother. The understanding of they shall not break bread for them is an expression of breaking. This alludes to the practice of giving a meal to the mourners in the city square and they broke for them the bread upon reciting the blessing for those who are lost. You find this in Deuteronomy 5 and 25 um, and 1 Samuel 9 and 13 for he will bless the sacrifices. Neither will they give them to drink. There was something attached to um, lamenting during the death of someone. You have um, there's like a ritual that people do when someone died. We we lost this custom. We no longer keep it. But this is where you get that wake from. And it's normally about a week of mourning um, that they go through. And the people would come by and and bring food and say blessings. And comfort the loss of people, of their of their people. For so said Yahuwah Sava'od, the Elohim of Israel, Behold, I will cut off from this place in your presence and in your days a voice of myrrh and the voice of gladness, a voice of a bridegroom and a voice of a bride. There was a custom um, right before the consummation of the marriage where the women would go out singing and praising to the bride and they will come in and, and sit down and then the men would go out to the groom and they would be singing and as they're singing on their way back, bringing him to his bride. Their celebration for the union between the two of them. But before this comes, he goes and he sits with the family and they 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 um complete a contract and, and they drink wine after and he goes and he builds a hoopah. Because that's where they would spend their seven days. This is where y'all get the honeymoon from. Your culture is rich. What has been stripped from you? You have nothing attributed to it. You don't know how interesting it is every week when I do intakes. When I ask black people, what culture do they uphold? 
And they all look at me like, the fuck you asking me, goddamn? They don't even know. And every time I have to answer, American Christian culture. You have the American Christian culture. That's what you keep. Even when you're not a Christian, you still keep it. Moving on. And you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, says Jehovah. And they followed other gods and worshipped them and prostrated themselves before them. And they forsook me and did not keep my Torah. Do you realize how often God keeps saying this? But you never hear him say that he's done it away or that he took it away. His beef always with Israel was that they didn't keep the Torah. And you have done worse than your fathers. And behold, you are going each one after the view of his evil heart and not to hearken to me. Notice he said, when you follow your own way, that your heart is evil. What does he mean by that? What he mean is, you don't care about what he's given you to do. You know how it is to have a child that's wayward. And no matter what you tell them, they're going to continue to do what they want to do when they want to do it. Truth nonetheless. And I will cast you off of this land to a land that you and your fathers did not know. And you shall serve their gods day and night. For I will show you no favor. Father, help us. Father, help us. Therefore, behold, days are coming, says Jehovah, and it shall no longer be said that Jehovah lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Mitzrayim. Therefore, is an expression of an oath. Although you have per- betrayed me, I have an oath that I will redeem you. Although you did wrong. After I felt you paid for the sins that you've attributed unto me. My heart will soften. And I'll have pity on you again. And it shall no longer be said. Not that 
the departure from Egypt shall be uprooted from its place. But the final redemption will be the most important and the departure from Egypt a second time. We're almost there. But why is it the most important? Because after all this time, the salvation of Israel will be seen all across the world. The people returning their hearts in fullness back to the creator. Every nation will witness the salvation of Israel's repentance and return to the true and living God, Father God in heaven. And if that don't catch you, when let me, let me, let me go a little deeper. If the world today is watching us operate in infamy and everything that we do, they do it. And the day that we recognize in fullness across the earth that JC is not God and we repent and lament before the whole earth and follow the true and living God, what in the fuck do you think is going to happen throughout the earth? What do you think will change throughout the earth? Why do you think they don't want this to happen throughout the earth? Just saying. But as Yehoah lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the Northland and from all the lands where he had driven them, and I will restore them excuse me, to their land that I get to their forefathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers. Oh, Father. Well, we see where they got this from, huh? Hmm. Says Yehoah, and they will fish them. And afterwards, I will send to many hunters, and they will hunt them from upon every mountain and upon every hill and from the clefts of the rock. Just as the fisher takes the fish from its its habitat, so will these capture them within the city. And just as the miner of a fish, that when he is caught, he dies, 
so will I bring killers upon them. And afterwards I will send hunters for the survivors and for those who flee from the sword to the mountains and the hills, and they will hunt them to exile them into captivity. That transatlantic slave trade was was something. Coming upon these shores. When you hear all of the atrocities that happen here, things that the natives talked about that they had done, from the ripping of dogs, to all kinds of negativity, We're going to continue to see. Because remember, they were taken from here, far from their border, to the northern country called Europe. The natives left here to go to Europe, the northern country. Left here to go to Europe, the northern country. For my eyes are on all their ways. Excuse me. They were not hidden from before me. Neither was their iniquity hidden from before my eyes. And I will pray. And I will pay first the doubling of their iniquity and their sin. For their profaning my land with the carcasses of their detestable things and their abominations, they filled my heritage. Oh, Yehovah, who are my power and my strength and my refuge in the day of my trouble? To you, nations, will come from the ends of the earth and say only lies have our fathers handed down to us. Emptiness in which there is nothing of an avail. Father, is that not what we say now? That we've inherited lies? On top of lies that have no benefit unto us. That has never served us in any way. That we've never received any good thing from it. Those churches took and took and took. And I'm not saying they're bad. And there are bad people there. To you, nations will come. What it means is eventually the heathens will come to you and worship you of one accord. And they will say, how did they make gods for themselves 
And they are no gods. They made many gods for themselves and they're not gods. An expression of an inheritance handed down. Can a man make gods for himself? And they are no gods. Therefore, behold, I let them know that at this time I will let them know my power and my might, and they will know my name is Yahuwah. Seventeen. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron with a diamond point engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. What does he mean with a pen of iron? This is an allegory. That is to say that it is deeply engraved and cannot be erased. Hmm. Ezekiel also states to whom it is it was said as a diamond harder than flint have I made your forehead ah, flint is what they use to make um fire from the sparks Hard forehead, so we are hard headed. As they remember their children, so do they remember their altars and their asherim. And asherims are the things that's on the church, the, the, the steeple, by the green trees upon the high hillocks. You who sit upon the mountain in the field, I will give your substance all your treasures for a spoil. For high places are made for sin within all your borders. Do you think it's, it's um, circumspect that all these like um, concerts are being done in the woods with all this satanic... Um, um, situations going on with it. This is exactly what they was doing a while years ago. It's it's like recycling old old rituals. Who sit upon the mountain in the field? Jerusalem that is Situated on the mountain of the plain. All around the city is a field plain. The structure is called um um so um shit <laughs> because he dwells in the plain, um that's where they that was that's where it sets. 
Um, and you shall release, and I will avenge myself of you because of your heritage that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in the land that you did not know, for you have kindled fire in my nostrils that shall burn forever. And you shall release means pre-force you will release your land for the time that it did not rest on your Sabbaths, which I said to you in Leviticus 25 and 2. And the land shall rest a Sabbath for the land, for, for Jehovah. And what he means is, Every seven years, the land was supposed to rest. You don't do anything to it. You don't cultivate. On that sixth year, it will be double so that you won't have to go and cultivate the land. But they didn't adhere to all of these principles. There were many things that we were supposed to follow and that they didn't do. Why wouldn't you let the land rest? Because it was about money. You already know, niggas. That's all we ever think about. Money, 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 money. Well, so says Jehovah. Cursed is a, a man who trusts in men and makes flesh his arms and whose heart turn away from Jehovah. He shall be like a lone tree in the plain. And will not see when good... Oh, shit! Okay. Will not see when good come. And will dwell on perched land in the desert. On salt, sudden soil that is not habitable. What did he say? He shall be like a lone tree in the plains. And will not see when good comes. Well, damn. If anything, I do know is that we don't know when we have good things. We appreciate, we do not appreciate good things in our life. Blessed is the man who trusts in Yehoah, and Yehoah shall be his trust. For he shall be like a tree planted by the water, and by the rivulet or stream spreads its roots. The best way for any plant. To receive water is through that stream. Why do you think they did? Lines in the soil. Instead of directly putting the water on the plants. And will not see when heat comes and 
its leaves shall be green, and in the year of drought will not be anxious, neither shall it cease from being fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and when it is sick, who will recognize it? Well, Yeah. All right, Bob. Let's get to it. He said, your heart is deceitful. And when it's six, who will know it? Well, our hearts lead us to do unrighteous things. We follow our hearts all over the town. That should get us in trouble every motherfucking time. We get in negative relationships. We go and change and do all kinds of stuff and get ourselves in situations and circumstances and we be looking at God sideways and this is the shit that we done done to our own damn self. How will we know good when we see it? Because we don't fucking know. Come on. I Listen. Somebody sent me a video today of some chick ranting. And she's on the social media renting her baby crying in the background. Her her focus was solely on the internet that she literally abandoned her child. I had a dialogue with my daughter about it today. I said, you know what's really funny? What our kids learn is most of the parents that that have children today have children that they don't plan for. And because they don't plan for the children, the way they raise them up is really bad. Because the child becomes an inconvenient in their lives. And when your child represents an inconvenient in your life, when they need you, you have an inability to show up for them appropriately. Ah, shit, nicks. Ah, shit. Oh, let's keep this shit motherfucking 100. So if the child learn at an early age when I cry, my mama won't show up. Then when they get at a certain age, parents are saying, you won't talk to me. I don't know what's going on. Well, goddammit, you ignored them. They're an inconvenience to you. You spend most of your time doing your own things. Engaged in your own passions and the things that you want to fucking do. So why would they come to you with their problems? Because you've taught them very early. They cannot depend upon you. No, don't get mad. Now, let's have this conversation here. Because the child was whining for a good five minutes while she was going. Because I was fast forwarding shit because she was saying a bunch of stupid shit. But her sole focus on that social media platform, as she's going back and forth with people, comments, and her child is in the background fucking crying. The fuck? We don't want to have these kind of conversations. We don't want to speak these motherfucking truths, because then that means we got to pull down the curtain and look at all the ugly shit inside. We don't want to do that because we don't want nobody to see our shit. 
But at the end of the day, you better begin to look at yourself and understand that you ain't shit. I ain't shit. I tell you that all the time. But every day I try to be a better me. Come on, y'all. It's time to stop stop being bullshitters. I don't understand how long we can keep up with this bullshit. I don't understand. What conversations do we need to have? What is it? What is it that we keep looking at this shit this way and, and the worse and the worse we become? How do we stop it? How can we change it? Because seriously, what the fuck? How do we not hold one another accountable for the actions that we do and cause other people? Why can't we have conversations without people getting angry? Come on. The cockatoo calls. But has not laid. So it is he who gathers riches. But not by right. He shall leave them in the midst of his days. And at his end, he stands dishonored. Because you gain things Wrongly, you've gathered them up inappropriately. And, and this is just not with us. This is, this is the nations that govern over us. They steal and rob ill-gotten gains and dealt all kinds of manner of wickedness unto the people. And then you oppress them and you take from them. And something's wrong with them when they call us out the government for doing the things that they do. When we take from things that we did not get rightly, we don't keep it. When we manipulate and use other people in order to get money, we still don't fucking keep it. How you get your money, determine how it works for you. Father God in heaven, hold us accountable for the shit we do to one another. Father God in heaven, hold us accountable for the shit we refuse to look. How we refuse to look at ourselves and the things that we do to other people. How we capitalize on others. People every day capitalize. Every fucking day. By using sob sad stories knowing the shit is not true. But they gain Money, ill-goddenly. Politicians gain money, ill-goddenly. They purposefully tell the people they're going to give them the money in their communities, and they don't. What is going on in the world? How is it that we see nothing wrong with the shit that's going on around the world today?
as a throne of glory exalted from the beginning, so is the place of our sanctuary. As a throne of glory, since he wishes to state, all that forsake you shall be ashamed. He commences with the praise of the omnipresent and says before him, you whose throne of glory is exalted from beginning of the creation of the earth and is directed opposite our sanctuary. Yehoah, who is the source of the hopes of Israel, all that forsake you shall be ashamed. Father. But we ain't ashamed. Mm-mm. We ain't ashamed. We are not ashamed of the things that we do wrong that violate God. And they who turn away from me shall be marked out on the earth that they have forsaken the source of living waters our Yahuwah Yahuwah is the source of living water he is the one that gave us living water that is Torah Heal me, O Yehoah. Then shall I be healed. Help me, then shall I be helped. For you are my praise. Behold, they say to me, Where is the word of Yehoah? Let it come now. Come on. You have heard me say. I didn't have people literally torment and say, Prophesy unto us, Dr. K. Let's see what you got to say. But I did not hasten since I was a shepherd after you. And I did not desire the woeful day. You know it. What came out of my lips was before your face. What does it mean when he says, but I did not hasten? I did not hasten to urge you to bring them because... I'm a good shepherd who goes after you to beg mercy for them. This is him talking now because that's what he did. Jeremiah went before God to beg mercy for the people. Father, and the woeful day, the illness of their retribution, I did not desire. And I did not hamper your word from prophesying concerning them to return them to fear you. Another one is that it is to say I did not hasten from telling them your message. And to return them to you. 
if they would hearken to me. But they didn't. They didn't. Let it not be to me for a ruin. You are my shelter on the day of evil. May my pursuers be ashamed, but let me not be ashamed. May they be broken, but let me not be broken. Bring upon them a day of evil and with a second destruction, destroy them. You see, y'all make, y'all make the prophets frustrated, goddamn. Y'all do. That's what you do. You make them fucking frustrated. You, you make us frustrated, goddammit. And it's gotten to the point where you hear him begging on, on behalf of them, but he is pleading for them to change, to turn around. Now he died. And this is what Isaiah said. Let me say it one more time for you. May my pursuers be ashamed. Why is he saying pursuers? Because they were pursuing him. Did we not, did we not forget how his father was trying to set him up? It's something when you speak a truth. Now, there's a two different, there's a twofold with truth telling. Because some people tell the truth in order to fuck with people, to hurt them. And that's disrespectful and it's unfruitful. But then there are those who seek to tell a truth in order to get the people to stop doing wrong. Where they hold you accountable for your actions. And those are the people that are often sought after. The ones who's disrespectful with their truth. They get to walk away with that. But the person that speaks the truth in order to get them to change something about themselves that is incorrect and messed up. They're the ones that get it the most. What is it about us? When people really care about the life we live and want to see better for us. That we literally, we literally seek to hurt them. He fed up now. You can tell. Jeremiah like, fuck that shit. I'm sick of y'all. Let me say it one more time. May my pursuers be ashamed. But let me not be ashamed. Because I did what I was supposed to do. I tried to keep them from going into this place. May they be broken, but let me not be broken because I fulfilled what I needed to do, Father, to get them to stop doing it. I told them, God, what you said, but they didn't listen to me. So since they didn't listen, kick that ass. Bring upon them a day of evil and with a second destruction, destroy them. Go ahead, do it because they don't listen. They don't care. Go and let it have it. It's a point where we get tired of trying to plead with y'all and, and get you to see a thing. So said Yahuwah to me, go and stand in the gate. Of the children of the people. In which the kings of Judah come. And out of which they go. And in all the great. In all the gates of Jerusalem.
And you shall say to them, Hearken to the word of Jehovah, O kings of Judah, and all of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who came into these gates. Come on, next. So said Jehovah, Beware for your souls, and carry not burden on the Shabbat day, and bring unto the gates of Jerusalem. Neither shall you take a burden out of your house on the Shabbat day, nor shall you perform any labor. And you shall hollow the Shabbat day as I commanded your fathers. Well, do niggas honor the Sabbath now? Hell no, because they fucking think Sunday is the Sabbath. Do they work on the Sabbath? Fuck yeah, they do. Do they seek God on the Sabbath? Hell no, they don't. They do their own pleasures. Violating the Shabbat day. We ain't even supposed to buy stuff on that day. But they did not hearken, neither did they bend their ear. And they hardened their nape not to hearken and not to receive instruction. Sound like niggas to me now, goddamn. And it shall be if you hearken to me, says Yehoah, do not to bring any burden upon the gates of the city on the Shabbat day and to hallow the Shabbat day. Not to perform any labor therein. Then shall there enter the gates of the city. Kings and princes sitting on David's throne. Riding in chariots and with horses they and their princes. The men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the environs of Jerusalem and from the land of Benjamin and from lowland and from the mountain and from Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and meal offerings and frankincense and those bringing thanksgiving offerings to the house of Jehovah. And if you will not hearken to me to hallow the Shabbat day and to not carry burdens and to come into the gates of Jerusalem on the Shabbat, I will kindle a fire in her gates and it will consume the palaces of Jerusalem and it will not be quenched. Listen. When we think about the correlation of when God said, I will give you a bitter water. And they violated the Shabbat. Now you see why your enemies replaced it. Because you didn't care about keeping it the first time. So you have a new Shabbat. Just as you like. To do whatever you want. So you can perpetually 
violate the Shabbat as your forefathers did. Oh, you, you think God don't deal with us favor for favor? Rightly. We didn't respect it and we still don't now. Come on. Last chapter. The word of Yehoah came to Jeremiah from Yehoah. I'm sorry. The word, word that came to Jeremiah from Yehoah saying, Rise and go down to the house of the potter. And there I will let you hear my words. So I went to the house of the potter and behold, he was doing work on his will. And the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he made it again another vessel so if you ever watch someone work on a potter's wheel when you're forming the pottery if you're not really um constantly moving in and watering the um the the the, the wheel the pottery within the wheel it can get to a point where if you press too hard you can mess up so you can't get hair in the pottery too because it'll cause it to shatter so you have to be very careful of how you're manipulating the pottery on the wheel so as he came in the potter messed up so what they do is they formulate it and put it back into or mush it back up again so they can start over again because it's still soft and moist. And he made it again another vessel and it had pleased the potter to make it. And the word of Yehoah came to me saying, as this potter can not do to you, O house of Israel, says Yehoah, behold, as clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. One instant I make speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to uproot and to demolish and to destroy. And when that nation repents of its evil, for which I spoke concerning it, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do to it. Simple as that. As simple as that. We start all over again from scratch. And at one instance, I may speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. And it will do what is evil in my eyes. Not to hearken to my voice. I will repent of the good I said to benefit. It's all up to you. You have the decision in your hands. 
you can repent and turn away and do the exact thing I told you to do. Or you can stand firm in your wrongdoing and I will destroy you. Father, don't destroy us. Please have mercy on us. Help us to get it right. Show us the way. And now, say now to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, So said Yehoah, Behold, I am devising an evil upon you. And I am laying plans against you. Return now, each one from his evil way, and improve your ways and your deeds. But they shall say, We despair, but after our thoughts, we will go. And we will do each one the view of his own or of his evil heart. We will not listen. I'm going to send you to do it. And you're going to talk to them and you're going to tell them what I said. But I know my people's heart. They won't listen to what you have to say. They won't do what you have told them to do. And because they won't, I'm going to put the smack down on that candy desk. Therefore, so said Yehovah, ask now among the nations who heard of anything like this. The virgin of Israel committed a very disgraceful thing. Shall one abandon water flowing from rocks of a field that comes from the snow of Lebanon? Shall strange cold flowing water be abandoned? Shall one abandon from the rock of the field of the snow of Lebanon. What does he mean? Shall a man who needs to drink abandon water that flows from the rock in the fields that comes from the snow of Lebanon, which is clean? Shall strange cold water be abandoned? Or shall flowing spring water, which is strange to all people unto now, and its cold be abandoned? This proves it in Second Kings ten, nineteen and twenty four, where it states, "I dug and drank strange water." Father God in heaven, what is the strange water? Well, 
It's called Christianity. It's called Islam. Those two major religions that black people keep around the world. Strange water. Why is it strange? Because it borrowed from what God already set up from its people. It took what God had already given them that he said was perfected. And they put their own spin on it. The same shit they were already doing. And attaching strange gods to it. Isaiah 1 6 says, They have not been sprinkled, neither have they been bandaged. An expression of curative water or water that's been purified. And he gave a reason for this statement. And he, he said that if he wished to speak with an expression of a stream, he would double the meme, mem, and he would add yod, mem, and he would say, because of the plural number of water, and because they are streams. Another way to interpret when he says flowing, it can be interpreted. Shall it be abandoned to be strange, rejected water? The water that is cold, running water. Verse 15. For my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to vanity. And the ancient paths caused them to stumble in their ways, to walk in paths on a way that is not trodden. Father God in heaven. Do you realize how many of our people are walking in ancient paths that are off-centered, where they burn incense to Oshun and Papa Legwa? Your children are practicing witchcraft. And y'all don't even know. To make their land waste a perpetual hissing, everyone who passes it will be astonished and shake his head. Like an east wind, I will scatter them before the enemy. I will look upon their back and not their face on the day of their misfortune and they said come 
Let us devise plots against Jeremiah for the Torah shall not be lost from the priest, neither counsel from wise men nor speech from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with the tongue and let us not listen to all his words. Hearken, O Yehovah, to me and hear the voice of those who quarrel, quarrel with me. Shall evil be paid instead of good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember when I stood before you to speak good of them, to bring back your wrath from them? Father God in heaven, He said they dug a pit for him. They put him down in a pit to kill him because of what he said. And he said, Father, remember when I was pleading on their behalf for you not to destroy them? You remember? Do you understand how you can love people or love someone and plead with them? And instead of them listening or knowing that the words that you speak are in love and consideration of care. turn against you because his own father did. Let's take into consideration what Farrakhan said about your own enemies coming from from your own household. Therefore, deliver your children to the famine and spoil their blood and by, by the sword and let their wives be bereaved and widows and their husbands slain by death. Your youth struck by the sword in battle. He was fed up. He was so tired. Sometimes our people are so much to deal with. And it gets to a point where you you give up on them. Because you realize there's nothing you can do to get to them. To make them hear you. May an outcry be heard from their houses. For you shall bring a troop upon them suddenly. For they dug a pit to seize me. And they hid snares at my feet to trap me. Father, you sent me to a people that I loved. 
And I cared and I cried out and I prayed for them daily. I I tried to to get them to hear me, but for some reason they made a decision that they wanted to kill me. Not because I did something wrong to them. Not because I hurt someone they loved. But because I have a standard in which I set for my life. And that you called me to do this thing. That I myself didn't even ask for. But when you sent me to do it, I was obedient to take the the job because I love my people. And I want to see the best for them. But they don't love me back. Talk to us, Jeremiah. And you, oh, Yehoah, Know all their plans against me for death. Do not alone for their iniquity and let not their sin be erased from before you and let them be made to stumble before you. At the time of your anger, do it to them. Oh, yeah, he fed up. That's the end of chapter 18. Man. Think about that. Father God in heaven, teach us your ways. That we walk in your precepts, that we learn to be obedient to your Torah, that we walk according to your ways, that we not violate your Shabbats, that we not violate your Torah in our life. Forgive us for the wrongs we've done thus far. Teach us how to walk on the path of righteousness for our own sakes. For the sake of our children. Show us your grace. And your mercy. 
even though we do not deserve it. We don't deserve it. Teach us to fear and reverence you. That we have regard of respect for the authority that you govern over our lives. Gird us up daily. And that your word never depart from our lips. Never be removed from our hearts. And that you bind it within our DNA. Well, so shall it be. Family, much love and respect. I'll see you tomorrow with the next three chapters of Jeremiah. And may daily we learn to uphold and do what is right in the eyes of God. That we don't offend him with our actions. Oh, my God, please let us not offend you with our actions. Man. I'll end, as I always do, with our declaration. Shama Yisrael, Yahuwah, Eloheinu, Yohah, Akai. That we will love you with all our hearts, all our souls, and all our minds, and every being. That we will do your Torah diligently. And continue to grow in it and learn from it. That it will be well with us. That you won't depart from us. That you'll have favor upon us. In everything that we do. Family, much love and respect. Salim, Shalom, Shalom, whichever one you choose. Peace and respect. See you tomorrow.